Episode 20 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by the most breathable, lightweight, and durable mouthguard on the market. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Sisu mouthguards. They're the best, Gumby. The best. They are the best, and they're great for every single sport you could possibly do. They're good for combat sports, they're good for team sports, and they're good for youth sports if you've got a little one running around and need to protect their teeth. So head on over to SISUGuard.com and get yourself what you need for whatever sport you do. Not only that, they're American-made, too. You know who wouldn't buy Sisu mouthguards? Terrorists, that's who. So don't support terrorists. Buy Sisu mouthguards. They bring you episode 20 of Top Turtle MMA. Too much? No, perfect. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for getting us in your eardrums. However it is you do it, I would, of course, be remiss not to mention that we're available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes, basically wherever a podcast is being streamed. I am one of your two co-hosts, David Tremonti, and I'm joined, as always, by my other co-host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Are you over there, Dan? I'm over here, and I also want to remind the listeners that you can get our show at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter, or you can follow me at Gumby Vreeland. You can also check us out on our website, uh, the mothership, so to speak, MMA-Manifesto.com. You can not only get us under the podcast tab, but you can get all kinds of other news and good stuff on the main page there. All right. So uh, now that all the annoying stuff is out of the way, we have an awesome show today. We get to break down a pretty cool fight night headlined by Garbrandt versus Almeida, two undefeated 135-pound prospects. Yeah, one of the fights I've been the most excited about uh, checking out recently. You know, 21-0 and what's the other one, 9-0 or 8-0. But at the same time, both have just... Un- incredible finishing power. So that's a really exciting one. And plus, we also got an interview with Matt, the Immortal Brown, who had one of the craziest weeks in Brazil ever. Yeah, at UFC 198, he was attacked by his former coach. He was uh, attacked, so to speak, by fans on his way to the Octagon. Yeah, and, and both of them he seemed to retaliate on. I mean, like, he had his boy chase down his ex-coach and beat the crap out of him, right? Is, yeah. Isn't that how the story goes? Don't, and, don't fuck with Matt Brown. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to mess with Matt Brown. So we got a chance to interview him, and we're not going to waste any time. We're going to cut to that right away, and on the other side of our Matt Brown interview... We'll do a little news reaction to all the latest comings and goings in the MMA world, and then, of course, break down this pretty kick-ass fight card. Uh, But without further ado, we're going to get you right into our interview with Matt, the Immortal Brown, on the other side of this sound effect. This is David Tremonti and Daniel Gumby-Vreeland of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and we are delighted to be joined by one of our show's favorite fighters, Matt, the Immortal Brown. Uh, If you haven't uh, been keeping up in the MMA media lately, you might have missed the fact that Matt Brown had a wild weekend in Brazil for UFC 198, went down into the lion's den, uh, took on Damian Maia, uh, kept him at bay for about three rounds, ended up succumbing to a choke. Uh, No shame in that when going against Damian Maia, but it was really the extracurricular stuff that happened in Brazil that people started talking about. Uh, A former coach attacked him. uh, A fan on the way to the ring tried to punch him. Matt, overall, what was that weekend like in Brazil? How crazy an experience was that going down into Brazil and having all that drama unfold? I mean, at the time, it didn't really seem like much was happening because I was just focused on the fight and then after the fight, just focused on going home, you know? So it was just, uh, looking back, I mean, I guess it was pretty wild, but, um, you know, I, I was there for, on a mission and I failed the mission. So that's really the only thing, that, you know, that affects me in any manner. Quick question. So obviously you said that, you know, you were focused mostly on your mission. You didn't even realize all the other stuff was happening was as crazy as it was. Uh, is it fair to say that you wouldn't mind going back to Brazil after all of that? Or did you look back at, at that event and be like, damn, I'm never, never fucking going back there again. <laughs> no, actually, I, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, outside of the fact that I lost, I mean, it was a pretty cool weekend, you know, it's pretty eventful and, <laughs> and made for a good time. Um, I mean, you know, the, the fact that like, you know, fans were grabbing me and that I was attacked after, I mean, uh, I may not want to go back only for like, safety reasons, right? Because <laughs> obviously, <laughs> you know, maybe I need the extra security or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have fun. You know, I mean, it, it was all just, you know, j- just having fun in the moment is all. 
Yeah, that's how it seemed like on that uh, the night of the weigh-ins when you flipped off the crowd. That kind of just seemed like you were playing it up, right? I mean, was that prompted by anything in particular or was it just because they were doing their you're going to die chant and all the rest that they do to Americans? What prompted the, the double birds there? Yeah, that was exactly it. So we'd actually, me and my coach were actually filming the the way in with his, his camera. I handed him I handed him his phone back, or, and uh, I was going to do a selfie on the scale. So that's why I faced him, um, so he could take a picture. Because yeah, I couldn't I couldn't do a selfie, um, so so I faced him so he could take a picture of me. And then uh, I was like, you know, I just kept hearing him yell that, and I was like, well, I'm not going to turn around you know screw them so <laughs> you know so i was like you know it just it's just kind of impromptu just moment just thought like wow you know this would work even better just keep my back turned to them and you know put them off again screw it yeah call that the stone cold steve austin where i come from or uh something chael sonan would have done that was that that seemed all yeah. good fun and then but then with the fan punching you on the way to the ring and I think you just had the natural reaction, right? Where you just turned around and and, and took a swing at him because you you felt something on on the, the back of your shoulder, right? Yeah. So the, I, I got hit two or three times before that, actually. And then the guy he actually grabbed me. So you know he grabbed my hood and I felt it on my neck. And um, you know that's a um, a scary moment. So um, my natural reaction, especially in that moment, right, is is a fight or flight. And, uh, Every time, I'm going I'm to choose fight every time. Absolutely. I mean, I always remember, I go back to you on The Ultimate Fighter, and I think one of your, the, you're one of the few fighters in the history of that show where I felt like everyone else in the house was scared of you. Where I feel like on other Ultimate Fighter seasons, people are always looking for fights. And I sensed on that show, people were like, nah, I'm not going to ma- mess with Matt Brown. So, you know, those fans in Brazil, dumb to do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to mess with me if I wasn't myself. So. <laughs> now, when it, when it comes to the the former coach, this guy's crazy, right? I mean, he seems like a bitter ex girlfriend or something. Did you have a sense, like, when you went down to Brazil, like, oh, I might run into this guy, or he? I mean, he probably just wasn't even on your mind, right? Um, no, I didn't ever thought that he would do something so stupid, but. I knew he'd be watching the fight. I knew he he grew up with Damian Maya actually, and has been friends with him. I don't I don't know if Damian likes him, but I know that he, you know before he had showed me pictures of training with Damian and said that they came up together. So I can't speak for Damian as to whether he likes him or not. They don't seem like the type to get along. But um, and I I never expected him to actually show up to the fight. And of course, I mean I knew he'd be watching and rooting for me. But yeah, I mean I. I he was pretty much out of my mind at that point. So, you know, he was actually suing me uh, before all that happened. So it was the best thing that could happen to me. I mean, he, he lost the – he retra- had to retract the lawsuit right away. His lawyer pulled him right out after it happened. And so that saved me some law fees. And he nice. still got his ass whooped. So <laughs> <laughs> Call that a win-win. Yeah, and and you know, and it brought out his true colors to the public. You know how he's a coward, and so I, yeah, I couldn't have asked for it to be any better. And if I could do that whole situation again, I would do it exactly the same. I would say, <laughs> "Come punch me and run off like a like a bitch," and we'll do it again, man. Now, do you have to go back to Brazil and like? Te- I mean, he was arrested. Do you have to go back and testify against him or anything like that, or is it just kind of squashed and and you never have to deal with it again? No, I didn't even press charges. I don't. I don't. I'm not like. I'm not the type of person to be calling police and pressing charges and things like that. I didn't even care, really. I mean, it'd be, it might have been different if he had actually hurt me, like if he stabbed me with a fork or something. But <laughs> you know, which is a thing. I mean, we were sitting there at a at a lunch table, you know, and I'm lucky he didn't try to pick up a weapon or something. Yeah. So a, a fork or whatever. So we're going to move from uh, one one stupid move to, uh, in your opinion, another one. So you've been uh, you've been pretty outspoken about the next 170 pound title shot in the UFC. Um, obviously, they gave it to Tyrone Woodley. It's been 16 months since he's fought. Um, what went through your mind when you heard that his name was next up on the docket? And uh, you know what prompted you to you know go public with your thoughts about it? Um, well, I, I just don't get it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But I mean. 
Now, of course, before I fought Damien, I mean, I thought that, you know, I was going to beat Damien and I would have a potential shot at it. So, um, but I mean, I guess it really just became public because originally, you know, I'd be, you know, writing stuff on Twitter or whatever. And, you know, and he would randomly pop up on my newsfeed. And then finally I'd just respond back and be like, you know, shut up or whatever. And then, and then, you know, he'd be, he just started talking stupid shit, you know, so. Um, you know, I, I've never had, you know, a lot of respect for him as an athlete or as a, as a fighter anyway. So, you know, I was like, I just call him out on his bullshit. So, um, but you know, it turns out, you know, the UFC does things their way. Um, I'm not, I'm not in any way, you know, in charge of, of what they do or, you know, I'm not one to criticize really. Um, I just question, I just say, look, you know, I don't, I don't think he deserves it. You know, if someone asks me if he deserves it, I'm going to say no. And, uh, if you know it's what it is what it is though i mean there's other guys that haven't deserved it too so you know it, it's what happens yeah i mean his seemed i think even from like a fan's perspective too you know he hasn't fought in 16 months and even then i think you know he might be like two and one in his last three as a loss to rory mcdonald in there and then you have a guy like you you're obviously a fan favorite you're staying active or someone like a damian maya um, you know, it just seemed like we wanted to see Woodley have one more win to justify the title shot. It kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. You know, he had a fight lined up with Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks misses weight, and then he gets a title shot off of that. It just doesn't, you know, sometimes yeah. even as fans, we want more hard and fast rules. It seems like you have to have at least fought in the last year to earn a title shot. Yeah, and, and I don't think I, I've said anything that everybody that is not the general consensus that 99% of fans don't agree with. I mean, he doesn't deserve a title shot based on any um, any metrics that are standard, you know, any standard protocols or anything. You know, he, does, he shouldn't be getting title shot. Um, I think, you know, I mean, I call him a bitch and, you know, say he's not really a good fighter and this and that, but you know, I mean, that's all subjective, you know, so, um, you know, to me, I just think he's, he's a really good athlete and, uh, not the best fighter, but, um, you know, so whatever reason they give him a title shot is cool. You know, I just, you know, anytime they ask me if he's going to, if he deserves it, um, I'm going to say no. And anytime they ask me what I think of him, I'm going to tell him he's a bitch. <laughs> well, I think I already know the answer to this next question, but, you know, you fought Robbie Lawler in a five-round war back in uh, 2014, went to the judge's decision. Uh, they scored it for Lawler. It was a great fight. And, you know, Lawler's been a beast since then. He's had wars with Condit, with Rory McDonald, won mm -hmm. the title back in a five-round war with Hendricks. What you're thinking, I mean, I think I already know, like I said, what do you think's going to happen with Lawler and Woodley? How do you see that fight going down? <laughs> Yeah, you said. I think you could probably answer that question for me, but I think I do think Woodley will probably have a little bit of success early. He usually does. Probably, uh, you know, maybe land a big shot here and there. But I mean, ultimately, I think I think in the mid to late rounds, he'll get knocked out. And then, would you be lining up to fight Woodley come this fall, maybe early winter? Is that a fight you definitely want? Well, we'll see what happens between now and then. Um, I, I mean, I, I fight him anytime. Um, course but i'll fight just about anybody anytime so yeah um, that, that, he's not really special in that regard so but i i'll definitely uh have to see what happens man i gotta see where i'm at at that time um you know i plan on fighting before then i'm not one of these guys that likes to sit out i just sat out 10 months and it felt like fucking forever it was just driving me crazy every single day i couldn't i couldn't barely i couldn't stand it um so uh, i want to get back in there and you know, I, I I considered calling him to get back in there this weekend. You know, for to replace uh, Safadine, but I, I don't think I can make weight again that quick. But uh, it crossed my mind, you know, because I just want to get back in there real quick. We we had to do our jobs and stalk your Twitter, and it's been funny to watch the progression of you as a dad. You always have great uh, little posts you make, like taking the kids to Applebee's, or you making a weird face when your kids are playing with like a, a toy, or even this past weekend, I think you did a uh, Ask Me Anything on the Underground while you took the kids to Angry Birds. Has being a father kind of changed the way you look at fighting? Um, do you feel more motivated uh, now with kids? Do you feel like you need to have an exit strategy for the game? How has that kind of come into play here in the past few years, uh, being a dad and an MMA fighter? 
Man, yeah, all the above. <laughs> so it, it's definitely had a profound effect, I mean, from top to bottom. Uh, probably the first most pronounced effect that you would think of is I get less sleep. So <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> <True>. a, <laughs> But I'm also a happier person. Um, you know, it, it's very fulfilling um, and very rewarding to be a father. Um, but, yeah, th- I mean, there's, yeah, you know, there's ups and downs to it. Um I, I do find it motivating, um, you know, to inspire them. Uh, it, it has made me think a lot more about exit strategies. It's made me try to spend more time at home. Um, I don't really go out and do anything anymore. It's just family and fighting. Um, man, I, I mean, I could just go on all day about the, the changes there's been. Um, you know, the, I mean, what you see on social media, the, the, I mean, the, you know, they helped me change that, you know, because I was like, I never even cared about social media before, but then I had kids and I was like, look, you know, I could, you know, I, I'm, I should just em- embrace this social media thing and have fun with it. And, you know, I can have fun with it with my kids and, you know, you can't keep them off the iPads and stuff these days. So you might as well, you know, have some fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm telling you, I'll give the UFC this idea right now. I find it so entertaining when a badass fighter like yourself posts that kind of thing. They should have a reality TV show, Matt Brown, Family and Fighting, just about you being a dad. I'd watch it. It's better than Dana White looking for a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got, I kind of, uh, I, I could never do, uh, I don't know if I could ever do a reality show like that, but yeah, <laughs> about that kind of thing. But I understand. I, I, I can't have him. Yeah, yeah, it is. These reality shows—it's more—it's probably like if it was a truly a reality show, I feel like it'd be cool. But if you look at, at the TV these days and these reality shows, that they're just not reality. You know, they're all they're scripted. Just cheap actors. Yeah, they're just cheap actors, right? And yeah, scripted. So yeah, so I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd want to do something like that. But whatever. That's fair. No well, that's why I'm not yeah. on the UFC marketing team, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, we cannot thank you enough for the time, putting up with my corny jokes and just catching us up on what a crazy weekend that was for UFC 198 in Brazil. You have two big fans here. We're looking forward to your next fight. Whenever that is, we will check your uh, Twitter uh, to keep posted on who it's going to be. We're very excited for it, and we can't thank you enough for the time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All right, there you have it, Gumby. Matt the Immortal Brown. Yeah, Matt the Immortal Brown, a uh, guy we really respect because he tells it like it is, and he uh, he doesn't really hold anything back, which we could obviously tell there uh, the way that he talked about Tyrone Woodley. Uh, he keeps it real, and yes, he does not have uh, an affinity for Tyrone Woodley. They will not be uh, sharing Christmas cards or having a beer at the bar after a fight. Um, but that's kind of why we respect it because, hey, even as fans, you know, and we talked about it there, we didn't really get the, the Woodley title shot either. Yeah, it, it seemed pretty crazy. Um, and, you know, he said that he would have been looking forward if he had beaten Damian Maya. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't have had very many arguments for him being at least up there in that conversation. He, he certainly would have had a more of a play than Woodley. He's one of those guys that even though Lawler beat him, it was a pretty close fight. I mean, everyone agrees. It wasn't like a contentious decision. Everyone agrees yeah, Lawler yeah, he, won the he fight. Wasn't, he wasn't quite as close as Condit was. No. But he was pretty damn close. But he's one of those guys... I see him as like a late injury replacement where you could put him in if someone was going to fight Lawler and had to pull out of the fight due to injury you could sub Matt Brown in on a few weeks notice and you'd probably get a pretty kick-ass fight that would really excite fans because he is a fan favorite yeah and he's got that like uh that Steve Miocic appeal to him he's uh, an everyman yeah he's an he's an everyman and he's just you know like like we said a, a really honest awesome guy and and uh you could definitely hear that in the interview now here's something I want to get your opinion on you know he obviously has to stay tight-lipped about these kinds of things until the UFC releases it, but he went on his Twitter um, and said that he has a fight booked, or he talked to Joe Silva, and an announcement is coming. And I was just looking at this, Gumby. I'm kind of throwing you at this as a curveball. Um, But I'm looking at the top 15 welterweights. Do you agree that whoever he's about to get would probably be in the top 15? Yeah, I I wouldn't give him anybody outside the top 15. A loss to Demian Maia doesn't drop you that far. So the way I'm looking at it, I'm just going to go down this real quick. Tiago Alves, ranked number 15, he's going to lightweight. Yeah, he's he's lightweight, and and I think they have a a fight in the works for him in Atlanta with with Ally Aquinta, which is kind of fun. And then Hector Lombard, ranked number 14, he's He's going up to middleweight, fighting Dan Henderson. 
Gastelum booked against Hendricks at 200. Then you have Gunnar Nelson. That's going to be the first option I'd like to bring up here. He might be fighting Gunnar Nelson. That's a badass fight. Yeah, that I, that's a really weird style battle, I feel like, because uh, Nelson's, you know, karate in, you know, sweet jiu-jitsu, and then you got Matt Brown, who's like a bang-em-out brawler type. Uh, yeah, that one would be fun. I'd watch the hell out of that. So then you have Rick Story and Tarek Safadine slated to fight each other this Saturday. Yep. Then you have uh, DHK, Dung Young Kim. Oh, Dong Young Kim. I don't believe he has a fight schedule, so that's option number two. That's Stun Gun Dong Young Kim, not Maestro Dong Young Kim. Very good clarification <laughs> there. Then you have number eight ranked Matt Brown. He can't fight himself. That's, this isn't that, a comic that, book. That, that is very true. This he isn't can't... Street Fighter, where you have Ryu versus Ryu. <laughs> this isn't Mortal Kombat, where you have Sub-Zero versus Sub-Zero. No, Always eight. Uh, I ask for me, yeah. And then number seven is his teammate Neil Magny. So I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they'd fight each other. I, I can't imagine they'd fight each other. And then Johnny Hendricks fight booked against the aforementioned Gastelum. Carlos Condit. That's another option. He doesn't have a fight booked. Coming off a loss. Yeah, I, I'd say that, yeah, he's probably up there. I think you're more likely to see him against the uh, the loser from that main event coming up in the, the future with um, Wonderboy. More likely to get the Wonderboy loser. But that's the thing, is he said the fight, they're about to announce it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so that would say that they're it, so, it's closer than, so than again, Condit is. Uh, yeah. Of these top 15, you only have three options. Gunnar Nelson, Dung Young Kim, Carlos Condit. He well, just fought Damian Maya. Woodley's the next title challenger in August, and then the top two are fighting each other, McDonald and Thompson. So I, w I would say the only other thing I could think of in that batch, too, is that, so, you know, we talked about number 14 and number 15 both changing divisions. So if 14 and 15 both change divisions, the rankings come out, could there be a guy at 14 that's just slipping our mind? That, Absolutely. Yeah, that, that maybe he would make a lot of sense. You know, it's an up-and-comer. He's won a lot of fights in a row or something like that. Um, I, I think there might be somebody, you know, sniffing around that we, we're, we're missing. Nick Diaz? Oh, I mean, Nick Diaz. Um, you know, I... I'm just going to throw this name out there. Brian Barberena uh, has won a bunch in a row, and he's got to be pretty damn close to being uh, a top 15 pretty soon. I, I don't think they would give Matt Brown him, but... He's a prospect killer. I wanted to see him fighting other super-hype prospects. Yeah, super-hype prospects. Well, we're running out of him in the 170 division, thanks to him. All right, and then um, you know, moving on, just as far as the news of the week that we should at least mention, uh, Nate Diaz went on uh, Ariel Helwani's show, The MMA Hour, on a special day of the week, and revealed some of the negotiations that went on uh, with uh, you know trying to fight Connor at 202 now, the the Fertitas and Dana White went up to Stockton. They had lunch. It was over publicized and overhyped that Dana walked out on the lunch, he said. But he did reveal that he is asking for more money. No shock there. He feels he should be compensated for being part of the biggest or second biggest pay-per-view of all time. And, uh, and the winning fighter in that fight, too. I mean, I feel like that that, that goes without recognition, but he, he was the guy who won one of the biggest fights of all time. And, you know, we talk about Matt the Immortal Brown being one of our favorite fighters for keeping it real, and I think Nate Diaz is the king of keeping it real. He also brought up the fact that he never got any rematches off a loss. He's kind of sticking it to the UFC and Connor a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you could say that he's sticking it, too, but also, you know, he's just finally learning how to play the money game. We talked about, you know, when Sage Northcutt got 60 and 60 or whatever the hell he freaking got that time. Uh how you could compare Nate Diaz's last salary where he was getting like what 25 and 25 or he something like that. He was like, like 20 that. and 20. And, yeah. and it's about time he got paid cuz he has a huge freaking fan base. People turn out to see the Diaz brothers no matter what. So I think finally he's realizing that he has to stick it to him a little bit and push their cards and he's doing really well with it. I mean, he got the Connor fight, he hyped the Connor fight, he got paid for the Connor fight finally. And you know what it, moving from UFC 200 to UFC 201 or 202 or 203 or whatever what it is, he's probably losing some views. Uh, I mean, some pay-per-view points. Yeah, he's he's losing some pay-per-view points. Even if you're giving him the same amount of points, I mean, like the the amount of the rating number is going to go down. You have to admit the a buy number for UFC 200 with McGregor on it versus UFC 202 with McGregor on it. 200 would have done better. Now, I, do, I mean, unless you one, stack the card. Well, one clarification there, because I agree with you in principle, but that sounds a little weird when you say it. But I think when you break it down, you're probably right, which is the hype behind 200, the nostalgia aspect, the fact that it's like a centennial episode or what what have you with McGregor would break the all-time box office. It, it would have gone bonkers. Yeah, no doubt about it. Coming off the 1.5 million buy rate in March. What you're saying is 
that 202 won't do as well as 200 if it had happened on 200 you have the 200 base with connor and nate as the cherry on top but now just 202 while it'll do well and it will beat this incarnation it, it, of 200 it'll definitely beat ufc 200 now now but it will not do better than if it had stayed on 200 because it would have had all the marketing hype and everything behind the 200 brand yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think that's a great point um so you know what good for nate diaz i'll tell you what if i had to put money on it the fight will happen right now they're just in a, a high stakes game of negotiation really i i, I kind of got a feeling that it's not going to happen i mean I, you know, they, they said it break, broke down and didn't go well. It wouldn't surprise me to see the UFC tell them that we're not going to pay you the big money and stick it to them. I mean, they just got done sticking it to Connor a little bit by pushing him back a couple of cards. It wouldn't surprise me to tell him, like, okay, fine, you don't want to fight Conor McGregor? That's cool. We'll give you somebody else, and you can get pay-per-view points on, like, UFC 204 when you fight you know, and but that's why when you fight Eddie Alvarez coming off a loss. Yeah, and listen, anything can happen in MMA. You know, at this point, I don't really care. You know what? If they run it back in a year, it, I'm fine with that. If they want to run it back this August, they have my money. I'm obviously going to watch. I think we're just right now. We're watching a public negotiation, and to your point, they will say to him, "Okay, dude, you don't want to do that. Then you get, um, you know, the eagle at UFC 205. Yeah. Nurmagomedov, and and he's going to say. Okay, not only do I have to deal with Nurmagomedov, but I'm also not going to make as much money as what they're offering or, me right now for Connor. Or it's I'm going to push you on a UFC on Fox card against Nurmagomedov. Right. I mean, like that would be even worse for him. He's going to lose out on cash that way. But, but that's the negotiation, and that's yeah. why I think he'll come back and say, "All right, let's fucking do this." Yeah, shit. I, I agree with you. That, All right. that, that's probably a likely tactic. The the other thing to mention is the legend, the returning legend, but he's not returning anymore, at least for a little while longer. Uh, BJ Penn got popped for a new side a violation your thoughts oh i mean the the annoying part of it for me was just like the dopey oh i didn't know that wasn't allowed answer to the question you know like they were like yeah you're you know using ivs which is obviously illegal it was all over the news like a year ago that we we're gonna make that illegal and he was like oh it's illegal all the time it's like yeah dude it's fucking illegal all the time like I, yeah so i actually uh, not to go off on like a mini rant on this, I kind of had the same reaction, which is this. When all these fighters um, go around complaining about like pay and treatment and this and that, and don't get me wrong, I'm pretty much with them on everything they're saying. Oh, yeah. They're, they're paid criminal amounts in some cases. But here's the other half to that. As a professional, if you want to be treated like a professional and paid to the fullest of your extent... You got to know the rules of the game. Yeah, you can't be saying, oh, I took this supplement. I didn't know that was on the ban list. It's all right there. You can go to the USADA website and see it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not just even talking about him. I'm talking about anybody. other people, too. Yeah, anybody. So I agree with you on that. It's just like I have very little sympathy when the rules are clearly stated. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and ignorance is no answer to any of it anyway. And it just makes him look bad that he admitted he was ignorant to it, too. I think in the 20 episode history of our show, we're always so pro fighter. This is the first time we've both taken a stance like yeah, and it, get lost, pal. The and the crazy part of that, too, is it's both for a fighter that we we've loved growing up. You right. know what I mean? Like when I first started watching MMA, I love BJ Penn fights. But right now I just find myself being like. Dude, get your shit together. And that's the thing, I think, because we haven't seen him in two years. The last performance was wacky. The last performance was well beyond wacky. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I kind of bought into the whole thing. Now he's at Jackson's. I got excited for it, and it's just kind of a disappointment. Yeah, no, nah, nah, I don't care. He can come back whenever he wants. I don't care. <laughs> All right, but here's a good piece of news from the last week. Uh, our boy, a favorite on this show, we should really try to get him on one day since we're such fanboys, um, Ryan Hall has been announced for a fight on that UFC South Dakota show. Yeah, well, now that we he's got a fight booked, I can I can definitely look into making sure we can get him on the show to talk about the fight. He's fighting Alex White, which is a fun fight uh, down at 145. Uh, I, that fight card is slowly looking like one that's definitely worth watching. I mean, you got... Kiesa versus Ferguson on that card. You got Ryan Hall on that card now, and I'm pretty sure there are a couple of other little uh, fun little fights on that card. I have to imagine that um, our boy Tim Johnson with the best mustache going today will end up on that card yeah, I, because, because he's, he's, he's from, from North Dakota, yeah. right? Yeah, and he's I, from the Dakotas. I haven't seen him booked yet, but there's also a couple of good heavyweight prospects from uh, RFA, uh, Devin Clark and Alex Nicholson, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that card has got some some pretty decent 
uh, you know, like entertainment value outside of name value, but it's also got some really good name value. I mean, how long has it been since we've seen Ryan Hall? It's exciting to get to see him in there again. Kiesa Ferguson is, is super name value, super fan-friendly. So, uh, yeah, that that's going to be a good one for sure. And speaking of fight nights that have some loaded lineups, we will transition now to our breakdown of UFC Fight Night 88, Thomas Almeida versus Cody Garbrandt, Battle of Undefeated Bantamweights. Uh, it takes place this Sunday, actually, Gumby, May 29th. Uh, it is going to be on FS1, Will the Main Card, and it, of course, is headlined by a battle of Uber prospects. Cody, no love Garbrandt, the team alpha male product, is on a three-fight win streak in the UFC, 3-0 and in the UFC. He's coming off a first-round KO of Augusto Mendez. Thomas Almeida, on the other hand, another mega prospect at 135, is 4-0 in the UFC. He is coming off a first-round KO of Anthony Burchak, and if you want to go back two fights, the nasty knee to the chin that knocked out Brad Pickett, you could hear it like a crack of thunder in the air and and that main card had two flying knee knockouts right am this, i wrong about that one you're correct that this was at ufc 189 the other one was um dennis bermudez jeremy yeah, stevens, stevens. Yeah. yeah yeah so it was an awesome that, that's the all-time probably the most fun main card to watch by the way ufc 189 yeah i, I agree. So. headlined by mcgregor I mean, versus mendez I mean, if, if my, maybe my favorite fight of all time is lawler versus um uh rory oh and on that same card yeah it I mean, if we're getting away from like historical value, because obviously like USC 100 has got great historical value. You got other cards in there that are great too. That one, if from just a pure fan love watching fight perspective, just the best. All right. So now as it comes down to Cody Garbrandt versus Thomas Almeida this Sunday, who you got? I, I'm going to go with, and this is hard for me too, because, uh, you know, if, if you, you know, you're, you like watching ESPN or all that kind of stuff, they did some really nice stuff about Cody Garbrandt and you know visits uh, children's hospitals, helps kids with cancer, overcome some things. He's always got one of his buddies sitting in the stands, and uh, I'm going to take Thomas Almeida here, and I think it's going to be more brutal than people think it is. I think this is not as close of a fight as people think it is, uh, mostly because I think Cody Garbrandt's striking defense is not quite as good as people think it is because it hasn't been tested. Um, I mean. You know, I played this game with you before when we talked about, you know, who is the best guy so-and-so faced. Who is the best guy Cody Garbrandt's faced in the UFC? Uh, Marcus Brimage. Marcus Brimage, right? And if you remember that fight, Marcus Brimage fucking tagged him. Marcus Brimage put his hands on Cody Garbrandt. And don't get me wrong, Marcus Brimage is a good fighter. Marcus Brimage is not Thomas Almeida. And when Thomas Almeida hits you, Thomas Almeida does not hit you and stun you. Thomas Almeida hits you and puts you to freaking sleep. So if Garbrandt is not more defensive than he's been in the past, it's only going to take one nasty one. Uh, and I think Thomas Almeida's got that one. His striking's diverse. His striking's kind of funky. He's rangy. Uh, and I think that this is a, a really good fight for Thomas Almeida, and it is definitely going to boost his stock in a division filled with filthy, filthy contenders. Now, do you give any stock to Cody Garbrandt maybe not making it a striking battle and just trying to take Almeida down with a little bit of old-school ground and pound? So he has that ability, but uh, Thomas Almeida is not no slouch on the ground either and the other thing is that if Garbrand shoots a bunch of times you know Almeida's only got to get up once or twice Garbrand shoots once or twice Almeida will have that timing down and his knees are vicious you know his timing on his knees we've seen it time and time again he's finished people with that he's finished people with uppercuts so I mean if if Garbrand wants to try to take him down, he's first of all going to have to keep him there. He's going to have to defend the submissions, and he's going to have to watch out on the way in. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Gumby is going full board with Thomas Almeida. If you want the fight odds, Garbrandt is the plus 145 dog in most sports books. Almeida about a minus 160 favorite. Yeah. So that's that's pretty close, um, but I, I would even lead uh, Almeida at negative 160. 
All right, the co-main event features a uh, former bantamweight champion by the name of Henan Barrow making his 145-pound debut. He will be fighting Jeremy Stevens. By all accounts, people are saying Henan Barrow looks strong and cut and healthy at 145. It'll be interesting to see him compete at this weight. I think he even said recently he wasn't opposed to fighting teammate Jose Aldo if need be. It is kill or be killed at the 145. Pound division. Of course, Barrow is coming off that loss to DJ TJ Dillashaw in the rematch. He's two and sorry, he's one and two in his last three. Both losses coming to TJ Dillashaw, a win against Mitch Gagnon via arm triangle choke back in December of 2014. His win. Jeremy Stevens, on the other hand, Lil Heathen, you may know him as, is coming off a loss to Max Holloway. No shame in that. It was a unanimous decision. Back in December, he beat Dennis Bermudez back in July of 2015 at the aforementioned UFC 189 via flying knee, and he lost to Charles Oliveira back in December of 2014, so he too is one and two in his last three. Who you got? Uh, this one's tough for me because I don't know what Barrow is going to look like at 145. Like you said, he's gotten bigger and stronger by everybody's accounts, but I take that with like a grain of salt. Everybody told me that Frank Muir was looking like he was in great shape too. And I have to say too, for making a debut to a new weight class, coming up to a new weight class, Jeremy Stevens is a big 145er. Yeah, he's a big 145er. He's long. Uh, you know, I think Barrow's going to have a lot of trouble with his reach. I think Barrow's big chance here comes, though, in his grappling. Um, you know, we've seen him kind of try to outstrike people, and a lot of times he went back to the well against Gagnon uh, when he you know, decided he was going to outgrapple him. If he does that against uh, Stevens, I think he's got a chance. I mean, I think that's why Charles, Charles Oliveira had a chance against Jeremy Stevens. Um, but on the feet, I think he actually has quite a bit of a disadvantage uh, to Steven. So I, I'm still going to go with Henan Burrell on this one because he's a former champion, because I think he can make that happen with the grappling. Uh, but a very cautious pick of Henan Burrell. A very cautious pick of Henan Burrell, says Gumby. If you would like to know what Vegas thinks of it, Jeremy Stevens right now, the plus 165 dog. Vegas, a little more bullish on Burrell. He is the minus 190 as high as 205 favorite in most sports books. All right, moving on, a very exciting fight at welterweight. Rick, the horror story, is making his comeback. We haven't seen him in about a year and a half, the MMA Lab product. I believe he has been injured, and he will be fighting Tarek Safadine, the striker. Uh, this fight was off for a few days. There was some weird sickness going on with Safadine. Can't even remember what it was. Doesn't matter, because breaking news, the fight is back on. Safadine, in his last three fights, he is coming off a win over Jake Ellenberger via unanimous decision. Lost to Rory McDonald via TKO punches and beat Hyungu Lim. He is 2-1 and one in his last three. Rick the Horror Story. As I said, we haven't seen him since he beat Gunnar Nelson back in October of 2014 via split decision, but that is a really uh, bad call because it was a, it should have been a unanimous decision. Uh, beat Leonardo Mafra to Shara before that and lost to Kevin Vast Gastelum via split decision before that. So he is two in one in his last three. What you thinking here, Gumby? So my, my thought process on this one is that Rick's story does really well against people who let him dictate the pace, right? Gunnar Nelson, not a guy who's going to pressure you into doing something. He's going to play that tactical sit back game. Uh, I mean, you saw him do a similar thing with Tiago Alves when he beat Tiago Alves. He was able to dictate the pace against Tiago Alves. Tarek Safadine, another one of those guys who does not dictate the pace. He kind of sits back. He lets his striking do the work. I mean, he throws leg kicks. He throws leg kicks for days. But at the same time, he's not the kind of guy who's going to, to push Story. So with Story being able to work the pace, I think he's going to move forward a lot. I think he's going to win a lot of points on the judges' scorecards. And I think he's going to wear Safadine out. I mean, put him up against the cage, body blows like he did against either Alves or Gunnar Nelson. Take your pick. Uh, and I'm going to take him via pressure there and probably a unanimous decision. All right. I like the breakdown. Uh, most sports books have him about even. Rick Story minus 110, Safadine minus 110, minus one, as high as minus 130. So even 
Vegas doesn't really know how to call this one. I think it's probably, as you said, uh, or maybe you didn't say it. Maybe I said it. Someone said it. But he hasn't come. He, his uh, story hasn't fought in over a year and a half, and we just don't really know what we might get off such a long layoff. Yeah, that, that was you that said it. Give yourself some credit. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been away for a while, so you never know. But you got to imagine at the lab, uh, they've got him in tip-top shape. Agreed completely. Moving on, we have a middleweight offering of Chris Camozzi taking on Vitor Lex Luthor Miranda. Camozzi is coming off a uh, win over Joe Riggs via TKO in the first round, beat Tom Watson before that via unanimous decision, lost to Jacare Souza via an armbar. He took that fight on short notice, so he is 2-1 and one in his last three. Vitor Lex Luthor Miranda is coming off a win over Marcelo Gumieres. That was a uh, TKO in the second round at UFC 196 McGregor versus Diaz. He beat Clint Hester before that, beat Jay Collier before that. He's on a three-fight win streak, Gumby. Who do you think's got this one? Uh, I like Miranda in this one mostly because of his punching power. I mean, you mentioned that he uh, he beat Clint Hester. Clint Hester's a hell of a boxer. I've always been big on Clint Hester. Uh, and his boxing looked way better than Clint Hester. I mean, Clint Hester was at one time like a 33-3 and career professional boxer, uh, and he just got outworked on the feet by Vitor Miranda. And, you know, obviously the punching power comes into play here. Uh, Chris Camozzi, you know, he's an impressive fighter, and he always comes with lots of heart. But at the same time, I don't ever think that he looks phenomenal in any area i mean he looks good enough on his feet he looks good enough in his takedown game he looks good enough in his top game but nothing glaringly awesome and you know not good enough takedown to the point where i think he's going to suffocate miranda um and i think his his boxing is just head and shoulders behind miranda so i'm gonna go miranda with the knockout all right, uh, you heard it here first. Uh, Miranda in most sports books about a minus two fifteen, highest minus two thirty five, even minus two fifty. Now that I look at it, favorite Kamozi the plus one eighty dog in most sports books. Uh, moving on, you have a pretty exciting fight in my estimation as Lorenz Larkin is going to be fighting Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Lorenz Larkin is coming off. A uh, his nickname's the Monsoon, by the way. He's coming off a split decision loss to Albert Tumanoff back at UFC 195 Lawler versus Condit, uh, a win over Santiago Ponzanibio before that via TKO, and a TKO win over John Howard. So he is two and one in his last three. I think we've both talked about, uh, you know, Larkin maybe more so than the record reflects is a tough day at the office for anyone. Um, Jorge Masvidal, on the other hand, is coming off a split decision loss to Benson Henderson, who now fights in Bellator, beat Cesar Ferrara before that via KO in the first round and lost to Al Iaquinta via split decision. That, of course, is the famed fight where Iaquinta <laughs> cursed out the crowd in Virginia you for, fucking boo me. <laughs> for booing him. So uh, Masvidal won in two in his last three. Who you got? Uh, I actually think I like Masvidal in this one, uh, mostly just because uh, I like his ground game. You know, I, th- I thought he had enough in that uh, Benson Henderson fight to win, um, but at the same time just didn't get the judges to go his way. I mean, same thing in the Ally Quinta fight. He's razor thin close to being 3-0 and in his last three. Um, he's got a really good ground game that people underestimate, people forget about. Uh, whereas Lorenz Larkin, a little bit more of just like a striker and pressure fighter, and you don't see too much more out of him. So as long as he can expose that part, that Lorenz Larkin has to fight him in all aspects of the game, which I think he can. He's a really crafty fighter. Uh, I think he has more tools in more different places, and it makes it a tough out for Lorenz Larkin. But you were certainly right at the beginning there. Lorenz Larkin, a tough day at the office for anybody. Vegas has this as Jorge Masvidal, uh, about a plus 105 dog, meaning they don't know what the fuck to think. Uh, Lorenz Larkin, a minus 125 favorite. That, that seems to be the, the theme of this card, if you don't notice. like I mean, like Vegas doesn't know what to say about any of these fights because they're all such good matchups yeah i was gonna say actually the fight nights have just been you know you remember two years ago where people complained about too many fight nights too many cards yeah and the fight nights used to be awful i think (laughs) but they've stepped up their game or maybe just the divisions have gotten a little deeper because i feel like almost all the fight nights this year have been um just very competitive well and i think too that, that that's part of like the education and promotion of fans and or the promotion of fighters and the education of fans being that they they 
let fans know more about their fighters. There's Q&As and stuff like that. So when you see somebody like Jorge Masvidal, who might be one and two in his last three, you appreciate him because he's, he's a guy you've seen all over the place. He fought Benson Henderson. Um, and, you know, when you see somebody like Almeida or Garbrand, you, like, know their story already. Yeah, well well said. Um, rounding out the main event, you have uh, up-and-comer Paul, the Irish Dragon Felder, fighting veteran Josh the People's Warrior Berkman, excuse me, he wants to be known now as Joshua Berkman. Uh, Berkman is one and two in his last three. Beat KJ Noons back in February uh, via unanimous decision. Lost to Patrick Cote via TKO before that, and lost to Dong Young Kim via arm triangle choke before that. Also had that no contest against Hector Lombard, uh, which was a win for Lombard, just overturned because he popped hot for the Roids. Uh, so, you know, Berkman's return to the UFC, nothing to write home about. I almost have to figure a loss to Felder. We'll see him get his walking papers. Felder, uh, you know, you could call him a much-hyped prospect at 155. Um, he's had some tough losses here of recent. He's one and two in his last three. Beat Darren Crookshank via rear naked choke. No one could have predicted that. He's a striker first. Uh, but then lost to Ross Pearson via split decision back in September of 2015 and lost to Edson Barbosa back in July of 2015, uh, which was a great fight to watch. And if you want to go back a little further to January of 2015, he had that sick spinning back fist KO over Danny Castillo. So two and two in his last four. Uh, what are you thinking on this one? Uh, I'm thinking about going with Paul Felder here. Uh, you know, just overall, uh, better striking in the long run. As you said, Berkman's run back in the UFC has been a little underwhelming. Everybody was really hyped on him, uh, after the, uh, win over John Fitch in world series of fighting. Uh, you know, so far I just haven't seen it from him. He's going to have to get Felder down. I mean, which is very possible, but his wrestling also isn't overwhelming in that aspect either so he's gonna have to go toe-to-toe with Paul Felder at least for a little while and you know his striking is behind Felder's too I'm gonna go with Felder on this one I gotta say I feel like in Berkman's performances he always just looks his age like I feel like they've been very um I don't know not lazy but he just seems kind of not quick to the draw. Yeah, he seems a little bit slow, and which is crazy, too, because when John Fitch shot that takedown, he was, like, super fast on it. Oh, when he choked out John yeah, Fitch? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. he instantly re- reached right for it, so it looked like he was super quick, and I was like, man, maybe Berkman's back, and then he got in the UFC, and he just looks... I don't know, sluggish? Sluggish. That's the right that, word. No, that is the word. That's the word I was looking for, yeah, and I couldn't find sluggish. it. He looks sluggish. And uh, the betting odds uh, potentially reflect that. Berkman, the plus 250 dog, very, um, very big odds for Felder. He's a minus 320 favorite. Actually, the biggest favorite on the main card. That's nuts, too, because that's also a fight I could see going the other way. Uh, I mean, I'm going with Felder, but that's definitely a fight I could see going the other way. All right, we will transition now to the FS1 prelims, so you don't have to change the channel when going from the prelims to the main event. That is all on FS1, uh, and the main event of those prelims, so to speak, will be uh, Sarah McMahon versus Jessica Evil Eye at 135 pounds, uh, women's bantamweight, of course. McMahon, one and two in her last three, dating back to the Ronda Rousey loss, she's actually one and three in her last four. It's been rough going here for McMahon. She lost to Amanda Nunes, lost to Misha Tate, top flight competition, um, but she needs to get back to winning ways. Jessica Evil Eye, on the other hand, uh, also on a two-fight losing streak, lost to Misha Tate, lost to Juliana Pena, beat Leslie Smith before that. So she is one and two in her last three as well. What are you thinking here? So I use as a point of comparison, and MMA math is always freaking dumb, but I'm going to use it anyway. I use as a point of comparison the ways that they lost to Misha Tate. And if you looked at Sarah McMahon fight Misha Tate, she looked outclassed in every way possible. Yes. You know, she didn't look like she belonged in the same cage as Misha Tate. Freaking Jessica, I had Misha Tate stunned a couple of times. And as a matter of fact, if that fight wound up going to the judges, Misha probably would have been sweating while she was waiting for the numbers. Yeah. I mean, Jessica, I put it on her on rounds one and two, and obviously Tate came back and finished her, but Jessica, I has got a lot to her game and she's way better than her record says. Uh, I think this is a great fight for her to get her back on track, and I think this is hers. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'll tell you something. If you want a little value in Vegas, Jessica I is actually the dog at about a plus 140. McMahon, the uh, the favorite at minus 160. Yeah, tons of value there. 
Um, moving on, we have Jordan Rinaldi. Uh, this is at 155 pounds. Jordan Rinaldi will be fighting Abel Trujillo. Uh, Rinaldi is coming off uh, three, no, make that five wins in a row in World Series of Fighting, LFC, LFP. I don't even know what that stands for. He's making his UFC debut, and they decided to give him a man with the nickname of Killa. Abel Trujillo. Trujillo is coming off two wins in a row, beating Gleason Tebow and Tony Sims via guillotine choke, a loss to Tony Ferguson back in December of 2014 via rear naked choke, um, which was actually a pretty badass fight, because I think Trujillo might have been winning that in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. He might have been getting the better of him on his feet. I, I'm pretty sure you're correct on that And one. then Ferguson came back, because that's what Tony Ferguson does in rear naked choked him. Long story short, Trujillo is 2-1 and one in his last three. Your thoughts? Yeah, Rinaldi uh, is a guy who, you know, obviously most people have not heard of, but he's fighting out of a couple of, you know, my very famous favorite smaller promotions. He fought for Legacy, he fought for RFA, um, and he's got a lot of grappling chops. This is a guy who's won some fights by, like, you know, inverted triangle key lock and, like, weird submissions like that. He's got a freaking phenomenal ground game, and he's also the perfect structure to fight somebody like a big, strong Abel Trujillo. Uh, you know, obviously Trujillo is freaking jacked. Trinaldi is a big, tough guy, too. Um, and I actually think Trinaldi has got the, the kind of game, or Rinaldi, rather, not Trinaldo. Mm -hmm. uh, Rinaldi has got the type of game where he can give Abo Trujillo some tr problems. So, uh, I mean, I, I'd say if you were going for safe bets, definitely bet at Abo Trujillo. But if you're willing to take a little bit of a risk, you'll probably get the payoff by picking Jordan Rinaldi. Well, again, now I think as we get into the undercard, we're getting a little bit more of wacky odds because I agree with you with Rinaldi, um, you know, the much-hyped prospect. You like what you see there. He's a plus 260 dog. Trujillo, as much as a minus 300, minus 320 favorite. I mean, I like Abel Trujillo, but even I think that might be a little aggressive yeah that that might be a little on the aggressive but they side also sure. obviously do these uh odds to get people to yeah to yeah bet, they so. gotta entice the better that's the idea uh moving on jake collier at 185 pounds will be fighting alberto emiliano Peraria, uh nicknamed uda so we'll just go with that um uda is on a Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten fight win streak. No, he's nine and zero uh, in his professional career. That he's making his UFC debut. Uh, Collier, on the other hand, is coming off a loss to Dongi Yang back at UFC Fight Night seventy nine. Henderson Masvidal back in November of twenty fifteen. Beat Ricardo Abreu before that. Lost to Vitor Miranda before that. So he is one and two in his UFC career. Fighting Uda, making his debut. What do you think? Fun style matchup because Collier is a guy who's going to put you on your back kind of wrestling-wise. Um, and Uda is a guy who just loves to work off of his back. Uh, he's got a lot of great submissions off of his back. Um, again, one of those fights where if you feel like taking a risk, take Uda, okay? Because he's got the submissions. He's only got to get one of those. Collier's got to get three or four takedowns before he's in a comfortable place. Um I would say smart money on, on uh, Collier again, but Uda is at least an intriguing underdog. Kicking off the FS1 prelims, we move now to the 145-pound division, um, and you will have Eric Newbreed Koch fighting Shane Campbell. Actually, is this at 155 or at 145? Uh, it will be at 155, 155. excuse me. Yeah. That's right, because Coach went up. Yeah, Coach yep. went up, so I apologize for that. Eric Coach, uh, the former 145-pounder, just lost to Darren Cruikshank via TKO back in May of 2014, so he didn't just lose, happened about two years ago. Beat uh, Rafael Oliveira before that and lost to Dustin Poirier before that, so he is 1-2 and two in his last three but has not fought since May of 2014. Shane Campbell is coming off a loss to James Krause, Beat Elias Silviero before that and lost to John McDessie, friend of the show. Before that, he is one and two in the UFC. What are you thinking, Gumby? You know, we broke down that Campbell fight, uh, you know, when he fought Kraus, and I said, you know, I think his striking game is good enough to make Kraus uh, work a little bit, and it was. Uh, just not quite enough to get him the decision. Uh, he's got really good Muay Thai. Uh, he's got really good stand-up. Uh, with Coach being away as far as he is, I think he just got to take Campbell just based on the fact that you know he's been in there more recently and he's no joke either. 
All right. Well, Campbell is the minus 165 favorite, Koch the plus 145 dog, and I might have failed to mention it before, but Alberto Pieria is a minus 125 dog, and Collier the very slight plus 105, plus 110 favorite. Plus, in... plus 110 would be... Dog, sorry. Dog. Yeah. yeah. It's late so Uda the is the favorite. Uda is the favorite. No sorry. kidding. Yeah. Huh. In his... uh, that's a little bit surprising to me. In his debut. Um, and then now we move on to the early prelims. These are on FS1, and this and is this, this could fucking be the main event. I was right? going to say this is a thank you to the UFC, and I'm glad I'm a Fight Pass member. Yeah. Uh, kind Quick of shout fight. out to Fight Pass right there. Uh, it is headlined. The Fight Pass prelims are by our one of our favorite up and coming fighters, Aljamain Sterling, fighting Brian Caraway, who you may know as um, Misha Tate's boyfriend. <laughs> be jealous. Um, <laughs> Mr. Tate. Sterling is uh, coming off a very famous, or not famous, but a very public, uh, I guess you could call it free agency period, where there was a lot of talk of him maybe going to Bellator, even World Series of Fighting. Yeah, we covered it here. A lot. And we were very happy when he re-signed with the UFC. That being said, he is 4-0 and in the UFC, coming off a guillotine choke win over Johnny Eduardo back in December of 2015 at that Nama Yunus Van Zant fight night. Um, Brian Kid Lightning Caraway, aka to some people, Mr. Tate, is coming off a decision win over Eddie Wineland, lost to Rafael and Sansao before that, beat Eric Perez before that, so he is two and one in his last three, and somewhat famous or infamous, I should say, for ducking fights. Um Sterling and him were talking a lot of shit back and forth. Uh he took this fight and we'll see what he's got for the rising prospect Aljamain Sterling. Who you got? So when I break this one down, I I think to myself, what what is Caraway really good at? What what is his wrestling? Yeah, he's a great wrestler, right? Uh you know, probably, you know, one of the tops in his division for the way that he wrestles. Uh, he's got a really good wrestling game and a decent submission game to go along with it. He is not strong enough. He does not have the technique to get somebody as good as Aljamain Sterling down. Aljamain Sterling is quicker. Aljamain Sterling is stronger. Aljamain Sterling has probably got a better submission game. I mean, he freaking tapped out Takeo Mizugaki from his back uh, in an arm triangle. The, the dude has got some chops, and I have got him pegged as a future champ because, you know, I, I think he's got that kind of game. Uh, so I don't think Caraway's got what what Aljamain does, and I think Aljamain's going to steamroll him. I, I could not agree with you more, and I can't wait to watch it. I'm so pumped for Aljamain, and I can't wait to see him make this run to here, the title. Here, here's my question before you, you shoot the odds at us, too. So say, theoretically, Aljamain wins this. Do you give him the winner of the main event? Is it? Is that just like the most perfect prospect hype card in history for the 135 division? I'm not a fan of killing off to you know a title contender that way. But but you could okay, so you could argue that right, you are killing off one title contender. But if the winners faced off theoretically, Aljamain Sterling and in my opinion, probably Thomas Almeida, the winner of that would get a title shot, right? Uh, I would think so. I mean, one we've talked about this before. 135 has become quite crowded. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, that division is stacked. Once we get through this ridiculous Faber title shot where I just assume Cruz is going to walk right through him, you have TJ Dillashaw in a rematch, the former champion. We'll see if Asansao beats Dillashaw. He's always at the tops of the division coming back off an injury. And um, any of these four prospects these we got four on this prospects. card. It's really quickly become uh, maybe one of the most exciting uh, divisions in, yeah, the UFC. in the UFC right now. So I, I will give you the odds, and uh, they are uh, – it's a wide swing. Minus 425 is Aljamain Sterling the favorite to Brian Caraway the plus 330 as high as 340 dog. Yeah, and, and no value for me in Caraway on that. I mean, he could win that, but I'm saying it's probably a longer shot than 3 to 4 to 1. Um, kicking off the entire show again, these are on the early prelims, the Fight Pass prelims. You have Adam, the pro prototype Milstead, making his UFC debut. This is at heavyweight. He's one of the few heavyweight prospects we have currently in the UFC. He will be fighting Chris De La Rocha. I will start with De La Rocha. He's coming off a loss. Um, in it is his one UFC fight. It was to Daniel Omelinchik, and that was via TKO in the first round. So he is 0-1 in the UFC as a professional. He is 4-1. Milstead, on the other hand, 7-1 as a professional, coming out of King of the Cage. Last fought in September of 2015. I know you're very high on the prototype. Let's hear it. Yeah, Milstead uh, is a killer. He, the dude trains with UFC champ Steve Amiochik. 
Uh, so you know he's got good heavyweight training partners, which are definitely hard to come by. This is a guy with an awesome wrestling background, an awesome boxing background, and he's got all parts of the game. Um, you know, there there is the little knock on him that is, you know, his defensive boxing could get shored up a little bit. He's a little bit too willing to take a punch. But I liken him to somebody like Todd Duffy only fights smarter than Todd Duffy. I mean, you're not going to see any of those helicopter punches. Um, you know, training with somebody like Stipe, obviously, he's got a, a really good game plan going on. Uh, and I think this is one guy who, if you watch the fight past prelims, you're going to come away thinking to yourself, well, finally, a young guy in the heavyweight division, because it's been a while since we've seen when we got excited about. So remember it. You heard it here first. Gumby just compared him to uh, and called him a smarter Todd Duffy. Yeah, yeah, and I have no problem with that comparison. Because Todd Duffy even knows that that helicopter punch was stupid. <laughs> well, I will say this as well, which is that a lot of things have been made in the media or a lot of talk recently about who does Stipe train with. I think he trains with Jessica I as the famous female fighter out of that gym. Yeah, and, in Cleveland, right? In Cleveland, right. And now here we get to see who he trains with. Yeah, and, and, and this is, you know, you're going to see him. I've seen some of his King of the Cage fights. Uh Definitely something to write home about. Milstead, the minus 255 favorite. Gumby likes him very much. Uh, the Maybe one of the better prospects at heavyweight. Chris De La Rocha, if you're looking for underdogs to put a bet on, you could get him at about a plus 205, plus 215. That wraps up our preview of UFC Fight Night 88. We will be back next week with another great show. We will be previewing the Rockhold versus Bisping pay-per-view card, UFC 199, and we'll, of course, break down everything we see uh, this Sunday at UFC Fight Night 88. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We will choke you later.